Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 14 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. How you doing, Angelo? Doing pretty good. I actually got to use some remote viewing to, on somebody today. I don't know if we actually talked about this, but... We haven't talked about this because... Uh, well, we talked about it last episode, as in we're planning on remote viewing in the future, but we haven't actually remote viewed anyone. But apparently you're jumping the gun and, and just doing what you want. You've gone rogue. You've gone remote viewing rogue. So yeah, I remote viewed a friend of the show, Tyler Menard, co-host of uh, the RGVA uh, podcast, because uh, I was listening to... Uh, Accidental Tech Podcast this morning, and I tweeted about how uh, it's pretty impressive how uh, Marco Armit can make uh, discussing crashing issues with his Overcast app fascinating. And then uh, he tweeted at me, not Marco, um, Tyler, saying that he's listening to the, that exact thing on his commute. So, and then I, uh, we had it back and forth, and I figured, you know, we have the same taste in podcasts and stuff. So I said, I bet the next podcast in your queue is Hello Internet. And uh, he said I should stop staring at his phone. Wow. So wow. I so when that. do you plan on using your powers for good? That was good. It was, it was like friendly banter on, uh, on Twitter. It was not uh, evil uh, world domination type remote viewing stuff that I'm sure Kim, Kim Jong-il is uh, doing right now. Or is it Kim Jong-un? I don't remember who Kim Jong-un and he's got warehouses filled with North Koreans doing this right now. They're working hard. They probably bought a bunch of Ed Games' DVD sets. They have to do it by 9 p.m., though, don't they? Isn't it lights out in the whole country at that point? <laughs> Is it? I don't know much about the culture inside of it. I can tell you if you wish to travel to North Korea, the easiest path. But uh, apart from that, no. You've watched those Vice documentaries? I also like a lot of reading, right? So the idea is if you're Canadian, the easiest thing to do is go down to the Mexican, uh, go down to Mexico where there's, it's the closest uh, North Korean consulate. And then you apply for a visa there and you come back with it. Oh, really? There's a North Korean consulate in Mexico? Yeah, uh, there was as of like three or four years ago when, when I first looked up the idea of how to get there from here. Don't ask me why. It's just one of these things that you're like, oh, like I'm so interested in finding out how I could go about this, though I never will go about this. And suddenly, three hours later, you, you know what to do. Do you think you can ask Siri about going to North Korea? You know what? I probably could ask Siri, but I feel like maybe she would also alert the government authorities much quicker than any web search results. Um, are you a big fan of Siri? I use it. I use it uh, quite a bit, and I have to be careful what I say because it'll probably be set off on my phone. But the reason I'm bringing her up is uh, The Rock definitely uses Siri, and I hope you watch that really cool three-minute commercial with The Rock and Siri. It was really entertaining. You mean that three-minute and 40-second piece of Apple propaganda? Yes, I watched it. It was entertaining. I, I Look, The Rock is, is pretty cool. I like him. Uh, he's, he's very charming. He's a decent action star. Well, and there are also rumors of him running for uh, U.S. president in 2020. Well, at this point, it's, it's, it, we're just getting that much closer to idiocracy. So why not have somebody like The Rock? Even worse than that, though, is Kid Rock, right? Robert Ritchie is running for uh, a state senate in Detroit, right? So in Michigan. And is he going to, every time he has a, a speech, is he going to start it off by saying his name is Kid Rock? I really hope so. And, you know, I've been hashtagging investigate Joe C, right? So his, his unfortunately um, um, deceased uh, sidekick, and I use that term literally because he was a little person um, who had died maybe 15 years ago, right? So I, I wonder what circumstances led to that. Was Kid Rock involved? Who knows? But investigate Joe C before you let Kid Rock is all I have to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so, uh, back to the Rock and series. So I watched it. I mean... Uh, 
the thing for me and, and uh, as watching it, I'm, I kind of was asking like, what is the point of this? Like, well, it's a commercial. A- absolutely. But it's also, um, I, I get that it's commercial, but what does it bring to the table? Like we already know what Siri is. We already know what voice assistants are. I don't understand why they spent all this money on this campaign. Um, Just because they unless can. they want to gain market share, which I don't, you know, everyone wants to, but I, I didn't see the end game as clearly as maybe you did. Oh, well, I don't know about the end game, but it's just a way of getting Siri out there. Although from, I haven't heard Siri in the iOS 11 beta, but apparently she sounds pretty different now. Oh, she's grown up. So that's like the old Siri. Yeah, she's a lot more human sounding. There's a, she has different intonations when she says certain words. It's kind of interesting, but I haven't really heard it that much, apart from what they showed at WWDC. But so, what are your thoughts on voice assistants? Do you do you ever use uh, Siri or? Uh, in a previous life, uh, okay, Google. Uh, I I've, I've s- very sparingly used Siri in the last couple of months. I've tried a couple of times, and unfortunately, like it doesn't pull the data that I want it to. And I ask it very specific kinds of things with very specific parameters. So I'm very disappointed in that. Like for example, I tried to pull movie times out of it, and it gave me the wrong theater in the wrong city. Let me ask Siri something. Hey Siri, how do I remote view? Let me check that. Here's what I found on the web for how do I remove you. Did did it say remove you? Yes. Siri's out to get you. Yeah, so... (laughs) Well, that worked out poorly. So, Siri doesn't know anything about remote viewing, but she knows how to remove me. So, what else? Like, you you probably use it a lot more than I do. So, what do you ask ask it, her, it... So I use it quite a bit for uh, timers on my watch. That is the one thing I've used it for, actually, that it works marvelously for is setting timers. That's the only time I've used it without an issue. I add it. I add reminders with it, although sometimes it kind of gets it wrong. Um, we were out for lunch with some uh, coworkers at the Everybody knows me as the Apple guy, and they were they couldn't get Siri to work because we wanted it to find pictures of Marissa Tomei, and. Uh, so they were asking it and it wasn't bringing up anything and then i i asked it and she she brought up pictures of marissa tomei for me because we were talking oh. about uh spider-man's hot aunt right yeah i don't even want to talk about that whole reboot i haven't seen homecoming yet nor do i really care to theatrically it's good yeah but i don't really care at the end of the day like how many times do they need to reboot the franchise in order for it to get back into the marvel expanded universe i don't i don't care i don't well, care i enjoyed it and my kid enjoyed it so that's all I, I feel like I say. just I have a large amount of salt to throw around tonight. I'm very salty. Yeah, come on. I know, I know. You're the good guy, the guy who loves the Rock and loves Siri and loves Apple. Oh, I don't. Okay, I don't love uh, those things, but I like them. I <laughs> oh, <guess>. really? <laughs> so I have to be careful. Siri might start try to remove me. Apparently, <laughs> don't be surprised if you're dodging laser attacks within the year. Well, uh, speaking of things I love, uh, my kids won't shut up about Zelda. And uh, it's getting on my wife's nerves. So, to be specific, though, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yes, Zelda Breath okay. of the Wild, not some random person named Zelda. Uh, and my, it's getting on my wife's nerves. Like, everything they do, uh, they'll be at the park, and they'll jump, and then my son will say, Link likes to jump like this. Or uh, they're climbing a mountain, and they're talking about how Link climbs mountains, and how they have to get into the Divine Beasts to save the princess in the castle. And it's kind of getting old for my wife. I th- I'm pretty proud. So how does she plan on combating this? With facts? 
she just kind of ignores them and it's it's something i do with the kids and she gets to it's basically the the on the weekends we take turns sleeping in so i'll sleep on the saturday and she'll sleep in on the sunday and luckily zelda is in the basement which means that the upstairs is quiet and lets her sleep in a little bit longer without the kids waking up. It's one of the few things that my son and daughter can like completely agree on and enjoy together. It's 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 pretty impressive. I have to thank Nintendo for that. So what what you're saying too is that I guess that there are worse role models to have than Link, right? Like, and hearing all of this, I'm like, I know that your wife's annoyed, and I totally get it. But at the same time, at least you know they're not like, oh, I love you, uh, Sons of Anarchy or Kid Rock. Uh, or, yeah, or Kid Rock. Yeah, Link is great. He's a, he's a he's he's quiet. He only uh, he only says a few things, and uh, he's friendly. He helps people out no matter what. He's, he has a good fashion sense. <laughs> I like how this is a list of great attributes. Yeah, yeah, and he saves princesses. There you go. It can't be you know. There's there's very little that you could negatively say about Link, except that he keeps getting caught in all these adventures where he has to defeat Ganon or a variation of him. Right, so. And it's not even the same link, right? It's just a different variation of link over and Do over. Do we and really over want again. to get into this rabbit hole? Yeah, let's spend three hours <laughs> discussing the uh, the Hyrule Compendium. So I don't know about you, but I uh, I read through it recently and I actually picked up its sequel while I was um, in the states this week in the art, art and artifacts one. So I'm really excited to look through that this week. And it's a hefty tome; it's over 400 pages of uh, concept art and explanations and interviews. So it looks really great. Um, so I'm really interested in diving into that. Um, and it's probably way less confusing than the, um, trees that explain the different realities that Link inhabits or Link's inhabit. Yeah. They kind of really lost the, their, the reins on the whole Zelda, uh, timeline, but I guess they kind of had to explain it somewhere. At, le- at least Breath of the Wild seems to be, I mean, I'm hardly really paying attention to the story. It's just a lot of fun to play and For it's sure. so I mean, pretty to look at. It's a pretty popular game, right? And it's it's fresh. It's new out of the box. Um, and I'm playing it on the old system. There you go. It's not even the Switch yet. No, I'm not. Uh, no Switch yet. Although those are pretty hard to find, apparently. So so I was uh, in New Hampshire this weekend, and I was at a Walmart. And they had, for some reason, the, the Art and Artifacts book was super cheap, even with the conversion rate. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get this. So I pick up the book, and I put it in the cart. And a Walmart employee comes up to me and goes, you know what? We have a Switch in back if you want it. And I said, oh, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, we had three this morning, and I sold two. And I would pick it up, but I don't get paid until next week. So if you're interested, let me know. And unfortunately, like, I couldn't uh, really spend the money on a Switch even in the in the States. So I had to decline. But I asked him, when was the last time you got a ship? And he said, oh, about four months ago. And Holy he's like, crap. It, it'll probably be next fall until we get through four more. And that's just so funny, though, how it's like he, he came up, hey, hey, come over here. That's literally what it was like. I didn't know what he wanted. From he me. like opened up his jacket and he had a switch <laughs> underneath there. His uh, his blue dossier. He just kind of hid it <laughs> under there. It was just like this really weird thing where I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, thank you, but no, thank you, because clearly I wasn't interested in uh, spending that much money all in one weekend. But yeah, it was it was at least nice that he thought uh, enough of me to check my cart and see that I had Zelda in it. Well, yeah, because he's, he's or he's like just a creeper looking around. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's maybe he's a really good employee, you know. Um, so I mean like things like Breath of the Wild are things that are in vogue uh, currently in the style but let's sort of switch gears and talk about things that are almost obsolete Flash is almost gone and I don't mean the superhero no because he uh, he was most recently featured in the Justice League trailer last week you haven't watched that yet but let's not talk about that 
but previously we would have needed Flash to watch uh, a trailer online. Correct. And it's been a few years now that uh, Flash has been on the way out. I haven't actually installed Flash on my current Mac that I've had, um, shockingly, almost a year and a half already, which is going by fast. And uh, it's never been on any iOS device because Steve Jobs famously published that uh, Thoughts on Flash. uh, Would you call it an open letter or a blog post? Yeah, I I would definitely call it an open letter because it, it clearly was directed at adobe and flash right and how it's proprietary and you know its licensings are very difficult to deal with etc etc it's restrictive um so i definitely would categorize it as an open letter more so than anything else and we'll put that in the show notes um below and that was at a time when uh, people were kind of uh ragging on on the iphone and then the the ipad had just come out as well saying oh it doesn't run flash and i don't know if you remember the commercial uh of the um the amazing uh, BlackBerry playbook. And, oh, right. Uh, yes. Yes. How it ran Flash and everybody was super excited. And I had a few friends of mine tell me, oh, look, I have this and it runs Flash. And I'm like, I don't care about Flash. We don't need it. I haven't needed it. I don't, I, it's never come up that I, I absolutely need Flash. And even recently, the only times we've ever needed Flash on, on my Mac and I've used it through Chrome, so I never had to actually install it is when we go to like a, a website for kids and they haven't updated the, the stuff there. But Flash, right. I haven't really thought of it for, for years, gladly. Well, I mean, uh, the internet community as a whole, I feel, kind of used HTML5 to supplement um, whatever Flash was doing, right? So, I mean, Flash was huge circa 2000, 2001. Um, and then even at the beginning of YouTube, right? That's what it was running on in 2005. But I feel like they've built around... Uh, Adobe's proprietary software in order to make sure that a lot of the platforming and a lot of the widgets on the web work properly um, without needing Flash, right? Just using core markup text. Yeah, and do you come across sites that uh, tell you that they need Flash? I, I've Every once in a while, I come across one and I'm like, well, you know what? Then you don't deserve me because you're not like in this century at this point. Have I come across sites? Um, I guess that's kind of a difficult uh, question to answer because um, Sites, yes, but it's more so ads that are being served to those sites that need Flash, not the sites themselves. That's true. Well, sometimes it's a, it most often happens with like restaurant websites for some reason. They all have their stupid menus on Flash. Uh, a lot of them do. So I just with the weird them. background music. Yeah, it's like come on, get out of like GeoCities. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it doesn't come up as often anymore, luckily, and. I, uh, I, I think we've discussed this, but I have an ad block on 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 anytime I'm on the web because, uh, especially ads that use Flash are the worst. So uh, tangentially, and I didn't put this in the show notes, but I kind of want to discuss this with you. So I was talking to someone. I was on the internet this morning, and I had posted a link to a video that someone had created, and they had said, "Oh, you should use an ad blocker. That way, you can skip the ad." And I thought, mm, so I don't use an ad blocker because a lot of the videos that I watch come from smaller YouTube content creators. Uh, and I tend to jump around a lot. So I know that with ad blockers, you can whitelist pages, but I go through a lot of different channels during the day that, you know, could use my ad rev money, uh, towards bettering themselves. And I don't want to spend the time clicking around all day trying to white, uh, list, uh, tons of sites. So you're saying I'm a bad guy for using ad block. I'm just saying like, do you whitelist any, any websites or any YouTube pages? I do have, I, well, YouTube, uh, I've, so, uh, YouTube is whitelisted 
already because I don't want to break anything on there. Right. So as like a uh, whole, YouTube itself is just... Yeah. Dumb. So, and okay. I agree with you. Anybody uh, I'm watching their YouTube video, I want them to get the ad revenue, especially like H3H3 and uh, CGP Grey, all those people. I want them. I want to give them as much money as I possibly can uh, through their ads because they deserve it. They work really hard and... Uh, with all the uh, demonetization that uh, especially H3H3 has been facing, uh, I want them to make sure. Sh- I want to make sure they actually get the ad revenue. So YouTube is usually unblocked. Uh, I'm talking more about sites like uh, MacWorld's the worst, actually. To, to right. and I think you you've Mac mentioned World? MacWorld yeah, before as being like the worst culprit of of serving up ads and a ton of ads everywhere and sort of having to make your three way through a maze of ads in order to yeah, get the, the content. The Verge is pretty bad too. Uh, so I find that I I, I block those sites, uh, the ads on those sites. I've whitelisted a few ads. Like I don't want to break it either because the problem with those ad blockers is that they break the web sometimes. They're better. Uh, the ones the one I use on iOS is actually really good. It's uh, it doesn't really break anything. And okay, whenever I turn it off, it just it makes such a horrible difference. And I don't have to worry about ads for YouTube on uh, the web on on my phone because and on my iPad because I have the YouTube app. So. Well, ads still get served up occasionally. Like I've met a couple ads on there. On, on uh, the it's YouTube rarer, app. but I have. Yeah. No, no. I always get on ads on the YouTube app. Oh, you're saying that you always do? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I always do. No, no. I, I just, I, it's, I can't block those ads, but I don't mind them because right. they're part of YouTube, so it's not a big right. deal. So you just kind of deal with it. I deal with those. It's not. You know, I'm watching a GameSack video. I don't mind the the 15 minute ad before the half hour video they give me. <laughs> Did you say fifteen minute ad? I'm sorry, fifteen second. Yeah, I don't mind watching. <laughs> I'm like, you're a very generous viewer. Like, you're the kind that you know content creators dream of. Yeah, this is why Siri wants me removed. <laughs> I feel like we could do an entire episode about you know the minor inconveniences that modern technology and, and web browsing uh, face. You know, like uh, paywalls, and I, I get the reason why they exist, but sometimes, darn it, I just want to read an article without having to. Uh, submit an email address or uh, do a trial offer or something. Yeah, there was an, an article I wanted to link and talk to about today. Uh, talk to you about today about Johnny Ive, and uh, I went to read it, and it's behind the paywall, so we're not talking about oh, it. Oh, there you go. So we started talking about Zelda, which is a living thing, and now we're talking about Flash, which is uh, um, for all intents and purposes a dead thing, and now we're getting into something that was dying but is now back to life. Is it is it back to life? So Microsoft this morning uh, announced that they're backpedaling on their <laughs> uh, idea to close down MS Paint. So yeah, they were going to completely like sunset it, right, and then eventually remove it from Windows. But now they're just not going to be really updating it too much, with more emphasis placed on the uh, what is it called, the Create one or whatever. Yeah, um, I can't remember because I don't really use. Um, Windows, I I know what you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. So this morning they sort of changed course and said, "Hey, we're actually just moving it to the Windows Store, and we'll be making improvements to it, but it won't be a core cre- like a core pack in." Do you remember using MS Paint? Oh, all the time, dude. I used to turn on the um the pixel grid in order to make sure I got everything right. Wow, look at you. Did you ever use uh, MS Paint um to prank friends or something like create weird things? Like I used to. Uh, modify a lot of uh, uh, images and send things back to people to make them believe uh, things that weren't real. Well, my my favorite thing to do, I don't remember if I actually used MS Paint to do it, but one of my favorite pranks I would do would be to take a picture of somebody's desktop and then get rid of all their icons. So, oh, and then yes. I place that fake thing as their desktop image. 
so that they would be trying to frantically click on icons. I would hide the menu bar and all that stuff. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I definitely remember doing that at school a lot because uh, the, the controls uh, in the high school computer labs were very, very rudimentary and they were very easy to sort of circumvent if you knew what you were doing. Well, hey, I started high school in 1989 and we had... Um, brand new well they weren't brand new actually we, but we had like the old macs like the i guess they were like the the second gen of the the old macintosh i think it was the 512k but the old like with the nine inch black and white right, screen right and uh that was high tech back then we were all win 95 slash win 98 babies so there was a lot of, uh, of easy ways to sort of um, circumvent the very rudimentary uh, security features that were in place in the labs and no one no one cared no one cared we were far away from win 95 six years to be exact we had dos <laughs> like one of the old like the new like dos 4 dos 5 we had dos 5 so we had one lab with the max and one lab with the, the with the pcs all okay. in black and white and what were you using the pcs for like learning how to type no we would play uh epics winter games <laughs> and what class was that for life skills no we had computer class like we right would, okay but I like at, like instead of doing computer class stuff we would play winter games did your teacher care it was kind of like when between stuff so like we'd do whatever we had to do and then we'd play that okay fair enough on the max on the max though we would do uh mac paint apple needs to come out with mac paint again did you have to like paint things in class like were you given art assignments no we would just like puts around in the computers and learn how to use computers i remember the one of the funniest things that struck me was the one of the first weeks of class uh one of my uh classmates was telling the teacher he's like look i i know absolutely nothing about computers and the teacher's reply was well maybe next year they'll have you teaching this class because he (laughs) knew nothing about computers and they kind of just stuck him in there because they didn't have an extra another teacher to teach the class it was kind of fun. Did you did you ever have that in high school in other ways? Like uh, our phys ed teachers were also one more ed teachers. Yes, we had that from time to time. Not every year, but uh, I remember that happening. It was a government requirement for us, I think, by the time we got to high school. So one year, I remember our gym teacher taught a whole <laughs> like five-week course about um, uh, beings and angels. And we watched that Denzel movie, Fallen. And we watched um, a lot of cold reading videos and things like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's actually really interesting. That you. It was sort of interesting, but it was it was a very weird kind of like um um class to go through because you wrote like one page papers about it, right? So, so you should travel back in time, bring him uh, a uh, MP3. I guess would that even be possible? Would you be able to listen to that of our podcast and say, "Look, this is what I'm doing in the 21st century. We're talking about <laughs> angels." Yeah, I guess I could do that and see how it goes. I learned so much. <laughs> Yeah, so we were actually like we were watching things like John Edwards specials. Oh God! Yeah, it was great. So we ended up talking about that. Yeah, it was a very weird class. I uh, but the, it was like a government requirement. And they had to make sure that we pass it, right? But there was no, um, there there were no like state sponsored exams. It was just kind of like a pass and fail based on whatever the teacher assigned. I just love that the government requirement was to uh, learn about cold reading, basically. <laughs> double density welcome back to the double density podcast and so once again we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal so i had a very interesting weekend this weekend and i was uh relating my weekend to you and you said hold up wait let's talk about it on the podcast 
I know this is what our life has become now. Is, yeah. uh, <laughs> just gonna talk about saving ourselves podcast. for the podcast. So you alluded to the fact that you were in New Hampshire this weekend. I sure was, yeah. So uh, you and I are, are based roughly in Montreal. So we went down to Hampton Beach for the weekend, my girlfriend and I on the way back up. Uh, she indulged me by allowing me to stop at the uh, commemorative state plaque for the Benny and Barney Hill abduction. And you sent me a um, picture of this uh, as soon as you got home, it seems like. Yeah, oh, literally, and, yes. Like we stopped for supper and I just, I was like, I got to send this to Angela right now. And uh, the the look of elation on your face in that picture and we'll we'll be posting that on our instagram brian that's your cue yeah <laughs> i it'll definitely go up i also took pictures we'll get into this in a sec but i also took pictures of the nearby gas station which is sort of famous amongst uh people who like to stop in the area so i'm definitely going to post that so yeah so you um, missed you missed my whole thing that was your cue to push our our socials that you always do. That's why I said, Brian, that's your cue. I thought you were pushing me to tell my story like a good, uh, like a good narrator would. All right. So our social media streams, <laughs> if you want to see the picture, if you want to see the inside of uh, the gas station, as well as the mural painted outside of it, you can hit us up at Instagram. So Instagram.com slash double density podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter where we'll obviously be reposting them at Instagram. Um, sorry. At, <laughs> the Twitter <laughs> handle is double underscore density. And also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash double density podcast. We'll be putting up the pictures there. So yeah, so it was great. It was a sunny, uh, sunny afternoon and I uh, printed out the directions from the web before we left because um, I didn't buy a data plan for going down for such a short time. And uh, so what we did is we drove from Hampton Beach northward on the, 90, on the I-93, and then we got off um, on Route 3. And so what you do is you get off, and from the, if you're heading north, you get off and you travel east a few kilometers. So when we got off, we didn't know how long it would be, and the address actually wasn't, well, the one listed um, on the web, so we kept driving for a bit. So basically, we were just sort of a little... Uh, leery of continuing but finally uh, so the state marker is located right beyond the Indian Head Resort uh, on the side of the highway so you can actually park in and stop and take pictures with it and it's actually a very cool um, sort of thing to come see because uh, usually you know plaques have some kind of historical significance to them so it's kind of fun to see something that I had grown up with right so a couple of episodes ago I talked about how I uh, as a kid collected these like French bon Disney, these French comic books and the hills um their story was actually in one of the anthologies that I collected. So from a very young age of like five, six, I was actually enthralled and I knew that New Hampshire was near. And then uh, in the, within the last like six or seven years, uh, the state legislature actually declared this uh, historical site and put it up. So I think it's very interesting that the uh, one of the instruments of the U S government actually concedes that this sort of happened, not officially, of course, they're just saying that these people claim that this happened. And it's, it's a, I would say one of the first, and publicized cases of alien abductions. Yeah, it's definitely one of the first um, uh, modern, I guess, if you want to start bookending things, right? So it's largely agreed upon to be the first um, contact uh, or close encounter of the third kind um, to happen in the continent of the United States, right? So, And it, it's, um, it's something that happened to a couple, which is always interesting, right? It's not just the word of one person. Uh, it's a married couple that something happened to them and nobody's quite sure what it was. And we'll get into that later. And it, and it also uh, reminded us, uh, well, right, made me think of uh, a case that I, I came across on, uh, on Twitter. Um, people were talking about uh, the Mojave incident 
and I wanted to look into it a, a little bit more. And uh, it's that one's a pretty terrifying case, actually. And it's also another husband and wife. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. And I think that's uh, what we kind of want to talk about tonight is um, how it's interesting that these, there's these uh, cases of not just, you know, one guy sitting, uh, sleeping at night and aliens come and take him. It's a couple uh, wide awake and they see something odd and then uh, they realize they've been abducted by something. Right. Well, I think in the case of the Hills, right, so sort of a quick backstory for people who don't know, but if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you probably do know, but hey, whatever. Um, So Betty and Barney Hill uh, get married, but um, they delay taking their honeymoon because uh, they live in different cities. Uh, So uh, Barney lived in Philadelphia for a while and Betty was still living in New Hampshire working. And so finally, Barney was able to move over and they made some time to go. And so he wanted to surprise his wife. So they went to Niagara Falls and then... um, Late September 19th, early September 20th, 1961, they're driving from Montreal, wink, wink, to back to their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and uh, they start seeing these lights in the sky zigzagging, and, you know, uh, at one point, they think it's actually maybe a plane coming back to Montreal, et cetera, et cetera, and so they have this, like, weird incident. They see a light, and uh, the light's growing closer, and it kind of stands there, and they park the car. They take a look at it, and then... um, Barney's looking with his binoculars and then he ran back to the car and he was very scared. He said, you know, they're going to capture us. And then the uh, object shifts location and uh, they speed off. And so he, um, Barney is seeing it in his rearview mirror. And then uh, finally they make it home and, you know, the the light uh, sort of disappears after a while and they're still on the road. Right. So they ended up, uh, traveling a fair amount of time uh, and at one point during that time they feel like something's happening but they can't really explain what's happening and then they make it home and when did they realize that they were abducted by aliens well I think the thing that had happened too is so uh, in the interim right so so this was late September so October November they're very reticent to talk about this but Betty calls her sister and they talk about this and then um, they start corresponding with the Air Force and with NICAP and then they started mentioning, um, you know, th- this thing that's happened to them. So they file official incident reports. And then what happens is that in November 61, uh, Betty starts having these dreams. And um, she realizes that she started having these dreams approximately 10 days after she um, and Barney had gone through this incident, right? So uh, they decide uh, to go talk to uh, a doctor, right? So a doctor of the name of Ben Simon in Boston. So finally... I'd say 18 months after the initial incident in mid-1963, they finally decide to um, start uh, hypnosis into uh, a form of regression, right? So he starts hypnotizing them in early January 64, I think. And so he hypnotizes each of them separately and sort of regresses them to that night. And they discover that um, during this altered state of consciousness, they go uh, onto the ship. Um, they're shown a star map. Um, samples of Barney semen are taken. Uh, Betty has a needle inserted into her uh, abdomen, and then they show her a star map. And then they're very amused that Barney, because uh, Barney had false teeth, they're very amused that he can take his teeth out. They didn't understand it. <laughs> and then um, they also uh, weren't physically communicating; they were speaking telepathically, apparently, allegedly. Um, and so, yeah. So apparently, uh, of the two, Barney is the more terrified, and during a lot of his sessions, he keeps freaking out while he's under. Right. So apparently, um, these beings had told them to forget the incident and had put a mental block on them that um, hypnosis had managed to sort of unlock. 
And so prior to this, did either the, either of them have any interest in like UFOs or I guess flying saucers back then? Uh, did they, they, they know these things existed or um, what they, did they describe the, the, the people that were abducting them? Yeah, so the interesting thing, I think this is the case where the first time that the idea um, of the, the classic uh, gray alien comes up, right? Because when you start describing them, um, they've kind of been coined, you know, in pop culture as the grays. So this is the first time that uh, an incident has happened where they catalog their appearance and it's gray. So um, Betty and Barney kind of uh, differ in their description of each of the aliens. Um, I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think Betty thinks that they're smaller than Barney. Barney thinks they're human size, whereas Betty thinks they're smaller. Um, so, uh, and getting back to your original question, well, maybe it's different, uh, different people. Yeah, exactly. And getting back to your question before that, they actually didn't, um, they weren't that interested in things like this and nor did they really seek out a lot of attention. Right. So, I mean, uh, beyond the fact that they reported this, uh, to NICAP and the air force, like they didn't go to the newspaper, they didn't really do much with it. Right. It's only afterwards, you know, uh, in 66, 67, when, uh, the book comes out, um, based on, uh, their life that they sort of, uh, become, uh, pseudo celebrities, right? So in '66, John Fuller, uh, uh, sorry, John Fuller releases *The Interrupted Journey*, and he goes into a lot of uh, what has happened to them, right? But before that, they hadn't really gone out of their way to tell uh, any sort of media about this. That's that's the thing that that's interesting, right? Because then after years, um, Barney passed away not too. He was yeah, quite so he young, a, right? Yeah, he had a brain hemorrhage in '69. Okay. And later on, uh, there there was a movie made out of the the book. I think with James Earl Jones. Yeah, with Edward James Almost. Um, not Edward James Almost. What? Who am I thinking? I'm thinking of. Uh, was it Edward James Almost? I think so. No, it's it was uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. There we go. Sorry, I apologize. Another three named uh, actor. Well, it's also because I've been watching uh, Battlestar okay. off and on for the last <laughs> little while, so I think that's why it's stuck in my head. Um. And I mean, yeah, I mean, so sort of getting back to your question before that, um, some have suggested that Betty and Barney had watched an episode of The Outer Limits that had aired a few weeks before their incident, but they've insisted that they've never heard uh, of the show um, prior to that. So, it, it, that, yeah, that's the thing, right? You can, if if they had seen that, maybe it would have been something that had influenced their their thoughts and the the thing I find weird though is that they they didn't really report the same thing in their with their aggression right like they they were right there were significant I I mean like the basic so even the timelines are disputed but I mean uh, some of the um a lot of what they had described is similar but not yet identical I guess okay. way would be the way to put it but I also think that like um I think Betty was much calmer um during the incident itself that barney was because as i was saying like when barney was regressed he was flipping out a lot more so i feel like he was under a way more duress than betty was during that time so i think that may have altered his okay. perception too well so in in researching this uh this case before we uh, we were going to talk about it i came across a really interesting link to uh, 48 pages of uh, of pdfs and a lot of it is correspondence between um Philip J. Class, the noted UFO skeptic, and uh, Benjamin Simon, the doctor that uh, saw Betty and Barney, as well as correspondence between uh, Class and Betty Hill. And then there's um, her initial letter to Major uh, Donald Kehoe, 
who's uh, famous right. in uh, UFO in circles. 60, yeah, that's yeah. a. And um, I'd urge people, I'm going to definitely link to this in the show notes, but a lot there. So just skim through them. But the, um, the correspondence between um, uh, Dr. Simon and uh, Philip Class is pretty interesting. Um, the thing that struck me, and I mentioned it to you, is that uh, going back to our, our, our technology, it was really like an arduous process to kind of communicate with people back then. Uh, there are a lot of letters being written, a lot of sort of, it was, it was, the whole rollout was kind of delayed at the time, right? Because it wasn't necessarily phone calls, they just wrote to each other a lot. Yeah, and now what would be a simple email, back then, uh, one, of the, one of the things that struck me is um, when, uh, in one of the letters, Betty uh, kind of says, uh, as you can see, I've just changed my uh, ribbon on my... Uh, on my typewriter, typewriter. yeah. I, was like, I thought that was kind of a, a funny little thing to add. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely I would highly urge people to go look at those those documents because they're, they're kind of interesting to see the correspondence between skeptics and uh, Ms., Mrs. Hill and seeing how uh, they were kind of cordial with each other, I guess. But uh, Betty Hill was annoyed uh, quite a bit at Robert Schaefer because... Uh, she felt he didn't seem to really understand her case and uh, how she explained it because they, they they came short of basically calling them liars. But it's it, I can see how this uh, brought a lot of stress on them. And later on, though, she did kind of. Do, do you think they that she made money off of this? Uh, I mean, I, I she did appear in conventions and things like that. So I definitely think that, uh, especially during the. Uh, 80s and 90s i feel like she sort of owned the legacy that she created i guess would be the best way of putting it, or come around to it right so i think that like she probably did uh, make a little bit of money on it but i wanted to get back to something really interesting which i think is the the closest thing to a smoking gun i think we have with the betty and barney hill incident which is the star map right so during uh betty and barney's encounter when they're on the saucer ship the saucer people show betty um the star map and so at one point she kind of during one of these interviews uh goes into this sort of weird like automatic writing trance and she draws out a star map which is included in the interrupted journey so a couple of years later um an elementary school teacher i think she was teaching third grade her name is marjorie fish so she's an amateur astronomer she reads the book she gets really really interested in the star map because it doesn't match up to anything that's currently out there in terms of information, right? So um, she decides to create a 3D model of this. And so finally she does. And uh, through 69 and 70, they realize that it's actually the double star system of Zeta Reticuli, which I find is really interesting because it was sort of not known at the time that this had existed, right? So, I mean, some people like Carl Sagan say that, you know, it's just a random alignment of stars that just match up. But other people who have a more um, open-minded or favorable view of the star map are inclined to believe that uh, Betty was shown something that was much beyond her scope of understanding, and she sat down and drew it out. And sure enough, years later, it took years to discover that it was this this star system that existed, right? Yeah, you know me. I'll tend to side with Carl Sagan in any day of the week, but it is really interesting. And something that I find uh kind of what what sets this apart is that in 1961 they didn't really have anywhere to go with this story right they why would they concoct this that's the thing that always struck me interesting about this that they really at that point did they think they had anything to gain from this it was you know were they driving back from montreal saying you know what we should pretend we get abducted by aliens and then over the course of the next 7 years uh, we'll uh, 
we'll we'll be able to make ourselves famous. Then you'll die, and then I'll get really famous by doing the UFO <laughs> circuit. On uh, it's like it's not like something they really probably thought of. They were relatively young too, right? Yeah. So um, Barney was thirty nine. Betty was forty one when it happened. The other thing too is that I think that like if you contextualize their situation, then it becomes much harder to believe that they're attention seekers, right? Because Barney's black, Betty's white. Interracial marriage in the late fifties, early sixties wasn't commonplace even up north in New Hampshire, right? So um, th- there were you know incidents and reports, obviously, of uh, a racial nature that happened to them. So it's not. Uh, like they uh, were just bored sitting around and decided to sort of seek this weird common fame. I think they already had enough on their plate on their day-to-day as it is. So I'm, it, it, I'm more inclined to believe that they were very um, unwitting uh, members of something that happened, probably. I just wonder what it was. I, 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 I always have a hard time with the whole alien abduction thing. I, I, I sincerely doubt aliens are coming here and plucking us out of our cars or our beds <laughs> to like do experiments on us. But are they? I don't think they're liars either. I'm sure they saw something. Now, um, in the notes I, I, I added there, uh, Philip Klass and Robert Schaefer were, were pretty confident that what they saw was uh, the moon near uh, with uh, Jupiter and Saturn around it. And that was really messing with the way they were seeing things. Uh, although I always find a hard time people like mistaking Venus for a UFO, but... On certain nights, nights Venus is really bright. So, and apparently Jupiter and um, and Saturn were quite bright that night. But who knows? I think the other issue too is that um, they weren't just stationary, right? Like these things that were apparently chasing them were moving around, right? So that kind of throws a little bit more of a curveball in there. I mean, obviously it's hearsay because it was just witness incidents, but um, it's harder to believe that moving objects are simply the moon, Venus, and yeah, I, I've always had a hard time with that explanation. As skeptical as I am of, of UFOs and, and these encounters, it's, it's always hard to reconcile that they would see Venus and then like moving around like that. But the, the, the sky plays tricks on your eyes, that's for sure. And um, did, did you have anything else to add to, to the Betty and Barney Hill abduction? Did, anything you really, that always stuck out to you as probably what made this case so interesting to you? No, I mean, the thing too, and I think we've talked about this multiple times and talking about UFOs, um, the only thing you have in this uh, realm of existence is your name and your credibility. And I do, I do believe that Betty and Barney were quite credible. And the idea that this only came up during regression and not um, consciously kind of is very interesting to me uh, too. And the way these uh, sessions uh, were conducted, it sounds like um, uh, Dr. Simon wasn't, you know, uh, necessarily uh, leading them with questions, but he was just letting things unfold. So the sincerity of the two witnesses kind of is what struck me as most interesting. They're just two normal people. And like you were saying, like, during this time like there wasn't anywhere to go with this there wasn't you know a ufo industry or a paranormal industry that they could tap into in order to seek fame or or money or whatever so i think that like uh, it's a very interesting and very complicated um situation and i think that like i don't doubt their sincerity i just i like you i have a little bit of trouble figuring out what exactly did happen to them right yeah and it's not like they were trying to get twitter followers or anything at that point (laughs) right no it's the going back to like the letters back and forth like that uh and uh, one of the letters uh, between uh dr simon and uh, philip class is interesting in that dr simon kind of reiterates that he he didn't really believe that they were abducted by aliens or anything like that he just 
you know, it, it is what it is, what he found. It's not necessarily uh, that they were abducted by aliens. It's what they think happened to them. That's the, that's the most right. important thing to, to remember. And I mean, like, it, it can come down to something like a Fudia there too, right? But I, I'm, there's too much there to doubt this. And I think that, like, all out of all of the UFO uh, incidents that kind of exist out there, this is one of the more um, intriguing, well-researched, well-documented ones and at a time where um, this wasn't commonplace, right? So I feel like there uh, are a lot of resources out there for people to look this up if they're very interested. Well, going to that one and to another one that doesn't have that much online or many resources is the, the the so-called Mojave incident. And this was brought to my attention. I was on our on our um, Twitter account, uh, the Double Density uh, Twitter account, and uh, I noticed that um, a Twitter user by the name of uh, Our Strange Skies, who we follow, and he follows us, uh, he has a lot of interesting stuff to, to say about UFOs and the paranormal. And uh, he had brought up the, the Mojave incident, and I said, oh, that sounds like an interesting an interesting uh, case and he kind of pointed me to a few things online but he did say that there's not much other than the book and the paranormal witness episode which i ended up watching i didn't read the book yet but i i am intrigued enough that i'm probably going to pick it up uh so the, it's the story of uh, steve and don hess they were out uh, on a camping trip uh, in the desert and uh, this is one of the reasons i don't go camping because of the dangers of possibly being abducted by aliens and the scorpions and the scorpions uh and so they were camping they had uh were enjoying themselves and they were supposed to go to a regular campground but uh, for some reason it was full that night and they were kind of turned away so they ended up uh, in an isolated spot in the desert which i'm sure must be amazing for watching the stars but what they saw that night wasn't uh was amazing and terrifying uh, they were uh sitting out and all of a sudden they saw a lot of lights in the sky and they were kind of moving uh, in formation and then kind of reacting and then all of a sudden they saw things coming towards them like almost like a, a an invasion of some kind so they kind of freaked out went into their camper luckily it wasn't just a tent they had a whole camper and things started crawling around on the outside of the camper i think at one point steve uh, has actually uh, pulled out a rifle and shot at one of these things and they they felt like they were being invaded, and all all this stuff was happening. They were f- extremely terrified, and then gas started coming into the the camper, and they kind of blacked out after that. And then they woke up in the morning. Uh, they apparently said they listened to the radio, wondering if the world had been invaded, but nothing had really happened of note other than to them. Um, Dawn woke up with what felt like puncture marks on on her neck so they kind of went home uh freaked out were a bit freaked out about this and uh eventually they discussed this with a few people and they were it was brought to the attention of a hypnotist uh, and psychologist i believe and he put them under and it came out just like betty and barney hill that something had happened to them and they were taken on this ship um, they were both examined. Well, one of them, just like Betty and Barney, one of them had a harder time with it. And I think it was Dawn in this case. And she, at one point, was lying down on the table and they they took out what was this weird sort of uh, wand and that's what had done the puncture holes in her neck. 
and they were they were both examined you know the fluids were taken from them all that stuff and then um the interesting part of this is that after their regression the doctor had asked them if there was anything else and Don discovered that she was pregnant and she was kind of worried that this baby wasn't necessarily theirs. This, in when she mentioned this on uh, the uh, Paranormal Witness episode, I was so hoping that they'd cut to a shot of the baby and it would be like a, a gray with pigtails and a baseball cap saying, oh, I'm just a normal kid. <laughs> uh, and I go to school. And uh, But no, that's not what happened. They didn't show the daughter, but apparently it's a healthy uh, child that they had uh, along with their other two kids. And the book about this called The Mojave Incident, uh, inspired by a chilling story of alien abduction, is uh, written by Ron Feller. I think he's one of the people that got them in touch with the uh, hypnotist. And in the book, they're actually, they, they use the assumed names, but now they're, they're not hiding their identities anymore. And it's, there's a lot of similarities between this case and uh, Betty and Barney Hill's case, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I definitely do think that there are a lot of similarities. I mean, um, it happened at the same time of year, right? So the Mojave incident happened October 21st, 1989. So in the fall, um, and they were just, you know, leisurely either coming or going on vacation. And suddenly um, there's an episode of Missing Time. They only sort of start recollecting it afterwards um, when they are safely at home. And then they realize that something much deeper has happened to them. They both pause, uh, pass polygraph tests. So, yeah, there are a lot of similarities between the two incidents. The The Mojave one is a lot scarier, though, right? Because the they were actually attacked by these aliens, it seems. they the Before they blacked out, these things overran their camper. Right, whereas Betty and Barney Hill just hightailed it out. Yeah, they... They they just they didn't they didn't see anything uh, happening to them, let's say live. But uh, these aliens, I guess, I don't know. They were they 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 missed out on uh, erasing the memories of uh, the Hesses before they they use the, the use of the gas is weird. I've never heard of that in any other abduction story other than this one, and it's it's kind of scary that uh, they kind of slowly saw this coming into their camper, and then they they blacked out and woke up with puncture wounds and feeling hungover. Right. Well, I mean, there's a simple uh, solution to that one. I think this isn't such a big mystery. I think they just were dehydrated. Oh, well, I guess. And that caused the abduction. I mean, if you're going to play like the, the jerk skeptic, like think yeah. about it. If they just feel dehydrated. like they're hungover, like I've been dehydrated before and I like in the night when I've woken up, I felt hungover. I've, Woken up with weird bruises on my body after, you know, too much alcohol consumption, not enough water consumption. So, and, you know, and the, the, that. the puncture marks, that was, uh, I mean, they're in the desert. It could have been, um, theoretically, a chupacabra. <laughs> right. I mean, have you ever driven an RV through the desert? It's, it's, it's a little hard. It's a little hard. You know, there's bumps and bruises everywhere to be had. But uh, not, not, not to make light of this horrifying thing, though, but something, what are the options here, right? Either... It happened like they said it did. There's, there's not much that you can kind of say about them. So just the lights in the sky, that could be anything. But then seeing things coming towards them and then those things overrunning the camper, it's either that happened or they're completely making it up. There's no really way around that. Right. And I mean, the things that like they're trapped in that camper and there was gas. Yeah. There's, there's not much. There's no way around that that either, either they're really good liars uh, or something really crazy happened. I mean, it's not... The lights could have been anything, I guess, but 
people overrunning the camp. It's not like kids that were dressed up in weird alien costumes attack them and then put gas in their thing. That, that sounds like a horrifying alternative anyways. Also, Just imagine that if you're on vacation and then suddenly you're overtaken by a gang of hoodlums wearing gray alien suits <laughs> gassing you and then suddenly four hours of time goes missing. It's, it is really like it says in the title, a chilling story because it's, it is chilling. It's, it's just, I, I kind of hope they're lying because if that's, if it's true, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of the, uh, it's not as documented, but I mean, like it has been covered and the Hess is now, uh, semi-regularly, I guess would be the best way of putting it, do interviews about their incident, right? Cause, uh, the book originally had their name in it. Um, the first pressing, and then they asked, um, feller to switch it over to assume name so Tom Louise Gifford and now they're back to the Hess family name I just wonder this is so this is a much more modern uh, occurrence it's in the was it late 80s it happened yeah 89 and uh, you know Unsolved Mysteries was big so the 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 cynic in me wants to say oh you know what they just kind of made it all up and uh, they wanted some attention I mean, there's definitely that angle of it too, right? But I mean, if that were the case, why would they ask for their names to be switched over um, in subsequent printings of, yeah. of the Mojave Incident book? It's it's just, it's such a, a mysterious case, really. The, the, these alien abductions, honestly, the ones whenever people say that it happens in their bedroom, I'd be pretty confident saying like almost 100% of those are sleep paralysis because every single time, the the things that they describe are very clearly sleep paralysis um, symptoms. But these things, these cases of the couples being abducted, I find really fascinating because bo- in both cases, it happened outside of the, the home. They weren't sleeping. They witnessed these lights uh, approaching them. Uh, in the case of the Hesses, they witnessed the actual beings coming towards them. And then they had these vivid recollections of being experimented on by these bizarre creatures. Now, the ones the Hesses talked about, they didn't seem like the the typical greys. Were, there was a few types of different um, aliens that were working on them. And that, that makes me think, oh, maybe that's why Betty and Barney, uh, their uh, aliens didn't match up in their descriptions. There could be different uh, workers and I think Whitley Strieber talks about uh, there being different types of, of aliens too, right? Right, yeah. So uh, he, yeah, I mean, in his kind of like ongoing tale of uh, <laughs> alien harassment, I guess would be yeah, the best seriously. way of putting it, um, he does describe several classes and he doesn't include the the classic gray aliens, but yeah, he talks about more humanoid ones too. Um, and I think adding to what you were saying too, something that's very interesting um, about these two particular cases is also the fact that like they were so willing to submit to things like regression therapy, hypnosis, lie detector tests, and in both cases they came out pretty consistent, more or less. Yeah, well, the the, the lie detector test basically says that they believe what they're saying, um, but the regression right, it's, stuff—it's definitely not conclusive. But I just mean in terms of like um, having two uh, individuals go through this, and you know if they've concocted one. Uh, of this story then like one person usually is closer to you know uh, cracking under the the weight of their lies but both of them uh in this case seem to have passed that uh, test which means that they believe what they believe which is what they saw it's it, it's it makes me want to really deep dive into these uh, abductions and kind of figure out what's going on but i don't think we will ever figure it out it's, it's what how I don't I don't want to do the math but it's like 57 years since the 
the hills got abducted, and now uh, almost 30 years since uh, this Mojave incident, and we're, we're really no further uh, into understanding what happens to these people when they say they've been abducted, either from a skeptical standpoint or from uh, the believer standpoint. We, we can kind of make guesses, but... I also feel like with your math, we're also due for another incident like this, right? Yeah, it's every so, 30 years. Yeah, there you go. So um, don't take any vacations with your family in the months of September and October. I feel like Jojo Saval right now. And to those <laughs> who don't know who she is, I will link a quick video uh, down below in the show notes for you to understand. But yeah, please do not take any vacations. Do not go into the White Mountains. Do not take an RV into the desert until December. Yeah, and in Quebec, then you'll just be stuck. But <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. But I'm just saying in general, plan around the UFO incidents. Don't plan into them. Brian, when are we going to hang out on stare for uh, stare at the sky for UFOs? We're, we're a couple. <laughs> definitely not in September or October. I'll tell you that yeah, much. I really don't feel like being abducted. <laughs> Is this something that you've discussed openly with your wife? Always. It's it's part of our marriage vows. So you wake up, you're like, hey, let's not get abducted today. I actually haven't had a good sleep, good old fashioned sleep paralysis episode in ages, so. Let's bring it on then. Why not? We're throwing it on the table. We had our little problems last week. Let's have you know, a little sleep paralysis incident this week. Unless Siri removes me. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly she, we have it on, on record. She, she threatened you, so you better watch out before the Greys or uh, a deceased, Tim, uh, deceased uh, Steve Jobs comes after you. Have you put, put poor Tim Cook in the ground there? Yeah, almost, almost. He's going to uh, build, uh, he's going to have some big plants uh, in the... He's bringing three big plants to the U.S. apparently, according to Donald Trump. But I think he was talking well, about he, some new plants, uh, like green plants that they're planting at the the new Apple campus. I also feel like we talk we talk about a lot of things in this podcast, but one thing I'll never touch upon is is Donald J. Trump because I do not care to bring that uh, into this realm. The only thing I want to talk about is driving through the White Mountains late at night, hightailing it out of there, weird splotches on my car, you know, regression therapy. That's what I'm talking about here. So we'll have you regressed on air uh, one of these days just to hear what happened. I would love that. Black. I would love that. Bring it. I just can't wait for people to see that lovely picture of you with that big smile on your face in front of that green <laughs> plaque. I, uh, it's, it's now my contact picture for you. I know I showed you... Uh, I, I took a picture of a picture to send you. Once again, if you want to check that out, Instagram.com slash double density a podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at double underscore density, Facebook.com slash double density podcast. If you want to see a smiling picture of me, as well as the uh, picture of the alien mural at the uh, at a nearby gas station right off of uh, Route 3 in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, then go ahead, head there. And I think this pretty much wraps it up for us here for episode 14 of the Double Density Podcast. So tune in next week as we discuss dot matrix printers. Are they even worth it anymore? They are. <laughs> See you, Angela. Bye, Brian. I'm not getting a bye from you, apparently. I said bye, Brian. I did not hear that at all. It's very creepy. Huh. No, I said bye. You'll hear it. Very odd. I think my bye was abducted by aliens. It's the only reason. See you, Angela. Bye, Brian. <laughs>